Hello, today on Tarantula Talk, it's Derek, and we're going to be talking about the misconceptions that people may have with tarantulas, be it those who have not yet joined the hobby or are new. Some of these misconceptions may be obvious, but others are not so obvious. So, pretty much with tarantulas, you know, there's the arachnophobia and they're really they're just unusual not many people i believe really know too much about this hobby and some may not be drawn to it at all and i think that a large amount of that has to do with the misconceptions that people place the media places you got movies on them some might think oh that's a big spider so it must be poisonous or venomous and that is that's really not the case it may be now of course there are some exceptions again the tarantula trade really started in the 70s so it's only been about 50 years for now so that may seem like a long time but really that time is short based off of the amount of time that people put into actually researching the tarantulas really this this organism this species Tarantulas, they have outlived the dinosaurs, yet there is so much that we do not know about them. And that's what's so interesting about them is that there's just a lot that a lot to learn, a lot to learn about them and a lot that we thought we knew about them, which turns out to not be true, which aids in these misconceptions that we we have for tarantulas in general. And, and that's why I'm here to. Um, clear up right now. I'm going to give some misconceptions about tarantulas and offer some explanation as to why those misconceptions may have developed and also to correct those misconceptions for those who are listening to this podcast. And yes, so to begin, let's start. Okay, so the first misconception that I have right here is that tarantulas can jump feet into the air for three feet, four feet, five feet. People are scared if you open up the the lid on a tarantula enclosure, if a tarantula is going to just jump out of them and, and bite them right away. And really, that that's not the case. And I, I sort of had that when I got into a hobby opening. The first tarantula that I had it came in uh, clear plastic plastic bowl sort of cup kind of thing from Petco. And there wasn't much distance from my hand to the tarantula. So of course I was thinking this tarantula wants to bite me, it can. But, or they could escape its its enclosure just by jumping. But no, to clear it up, pretty much tarantulas, they jump more horizontally than they are going to jump vertically. And yeah, and that's if tarantulas even jump at all. And I say jump in a in a broad term. We don't really. I wouldn't consider jumping what they could do. And yes, yeah, so I say the species that would jump would be those that are arboreals. Those would probably be the ones that tend to to jump a bit more than terrestrials if they indeed indeed jump. And I use that word hesitantly again. So. Some reasoning for why they would jump would be to avoid predators, traveling, 
and to escape places like the sun, the rain, and any weather they do, they do not want to be experiencing. For example, the arboreal tarantula, if they're out in the wild, then that's a good way to escape predators just by jumping from tree to tree, if possible. And yes, so say the sun starts shining, the clouds open up, and that tarantula is in a view of the sun. They, I don't believe they tend to like the sun very much, and that's why they burrow. But that is one way of escaping is by jumping. And that's pretty much how they tend to move a little more for arboreals. Not saying that they do jump or that they jump often, but if that were a species of tarantula to indeed jump, then that's what they'd be doing. And these species would be like the pink toe, the vicularia vicularia, or the carabina versicolor. Those would be the type of species that would jump. And yeah, so they don't do well with high distances. Pretty much their body structure would not result in safe falls. They could rupture and die from short heights. So that is something that you should keep in consideration. If you are attempting to handle a tarantula, make sure you're not lifting it up in the air. If you're doing so, because that could result in some in some bad consequences for the tarantula if that tarantula were to get scared and jump. So Another misconception would be that tarantulas are poisonous and they can kill you. And for the most part, this is untrue. Tarantula venom uh, usually does not result in extensive damage in humans. Now, think about their prey. Their prey is not humans. They're going to be attacking things that are around its size or smaller. They may scavenge, like the bird eaters are known to to eat birds, but that's that's rare. And it's more just they have their a capability of going after prey like that. But yeah, so tarantula venom usually does not result in extensive damage to humans and is also not considered medically significant. Now this of course varies. We don't like I said earlier, we don't know everything about tarantulas as of now, and that includes its venom, but it does seem to have some useful medicinal purposes as well. There are major symptoms if one is allergic to tarantula venom. So it's very important that if you do not know if you are allergic to the venom that you know that you're able to get treatment quickly if you are to indeed get bit by a tarantula, but it's best not to handle them. I think that tarantulas get stressed out when they're handled anyways. So Yes, there are major symptoms if one is to be allergic to the tarantula venom. And some of these symptoms include difficulty breathing, puffy eyelids, itchiness, shock, swelling, skin rashes, rapid heart rates. And so, yeah, those are the basic symptoms you can expect if you are to get bitten by a tarantula. And that, of course, depends on which tarantula, depending on the venom. And... Yes, depending, maybe even on the individual. But, say, the old worlds, their venom tends to be more medically significant than the new world tarantulas. So there is a definite difference there. There is a case 
of extreme reactions that can result in loss of blood flow to major organs, which is a big deal. For example, if you were to lose blood flow to the head, to your brain, then that is that's definitely not good. Losing blood flow to the heart is definitely not good. So pretty much the moral of the story here is to um to not get bit by a tarantula. And if that means don't handle the tarantula, there you go. Some are docile enough to handle. So don't be scared out of your mind by this. And to transition from that, one way that people would be scared out of their minds for these big spiders would be the Hollywood movies. For example, Tarantula, the movie made in 1995, not 1995, in 1955, I believe. That movie, if someone were to watch that, having no background knowledge of what tarantulas are, they would definitely be scared of tarantulas because how that movie portrayed them being these giant monsters that are capable of, of killing you. That's, that's really not true. Pretty much that movie was used in an inaccurate way now. It's amusing, especially from what we know now, that tarantulas can't really do that. It's amusing to see that in a movie. But it's also interesting to know what kind of perspectives people may have developed from watching this movie, especially since when you portray something in a certain way, those that don't have background in it may believe it if they deem that that, is, that, that could have some accuracy towards it. And another movie that sort of sort of reminds me of that and could provide some misconceptions would be The Incredible Shrinking Man made in 1957. Now, if you were to shrink to that size that's portrayed in the movie, which was approximately the height that would reach the fangs of an adult tarantula, then they could and probably would get you. But, of course, tarantulas are not as big as us. And we are not a small tarantulas. So there you go for that. Tarantulas are not going to eat you. They are not after you. And we are not the prey of tarantulas. So there's no need to worry about that. Even if Hollywood tries to convince you that to sell you some tickets to a movie. Tarantulas use their webs to catch prey. So tarantulas, they don't use their webs. To, they don't use their 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 silk to spin webs. They don't have webs like you'd see in a in, for instance, a black widow. They don't have them spread out from tree branch to tree branch, and don't use them to catch bugs in there. You know, this has to do with their size. Their bodies couldn't support this. So. Pretty much the ways that tarantulas use their webs is to sense the vibration through the web to know prey is near, so they'll set it out in their den, around their den, and they'll use that. They'll use the irritating hairs. They're great. Like I said, they're great at sensing vibrations and will use that complementing with the webs to see your prey is near, see how near and then go after it if that's what they want to do. 
And another way that tarantulas usually will would be to guide them back to their dens and growing short distances. So tarantulas, they don't travel often out in the wild, but when they do, um, typically it's for, it's to find predators. No, not predators, to, to find prey and to do things like that. They never wander far. So tarantulas sometimes use their silk. They, they'll spin some webs to spin some silk to guide their way back to their dens. Tarantulas do not have good eyesight, so this is one of the ways that they counter that bad eyesight is by using their silk. Sperm webs are used by the males, and the females make egg sacs out of silk. So those are two other functions of silk that these tarantulas use them for. And silk is also spun when prey is caught to protect them and to protect their food from various causes that may result in tarantulas losing their freshly caught victim. So if you've kept a tarantula, then you've seen it do its little happy dance or its waltz, whatever you want to call it, but usually it'll start moving its legs front to back, start. Yeah, you, you can tell it looks like a dance. You can see their spinnerets and their abdomen, their epistosoma sort of moving up and down side to side and they're doing their little little happy dance after they caught their food. And pretty much what they're doing right there is they're spinning their web so that way they can keep their food in one place and prevent it from being taken if it was indeed caught in the wild to prevent their food from getting away from them. And I believe, I, I don't know this, but I, I do believe that this is an instinctual behavior that is implemented into tarantulas. And I guess I have to do some more research to make that claim for sure, but that's what I believe. And that's around halfway point to this podcast, so I will take a quick break, and I'll be back soon. So to jump back on this podcast concerning the misconceptions that are associated with tarantulas, I'm going to start with bird eaters eating birds. So bird eaters, they got their name uh, for, for multiple reasons, for multiple reasons. And the reason why this name sticks is just because it's it's a cool name. Why well, that that sounds like a great name to sell a tarantula on. Sounds like a great reason to raise the price. So, tarantula this tarantula specifically happens to be one of the largest tarantulas, the Goliath bird eater. And there are some other bird eating species. Like for example, I have the Nandu chromatis, and that one sometimes goes off the name of red and white Brazilian bird eater. And the reason why these bird eaters pretty much get their names, pretty much get their names for the most part, 
has to do with their size. And pretty much bird eaters are called bird eaters not because they eat birds, but because they have that capability. They're not going to be roaming the trees or stalking the birds from in the ground and trying to hunt them as their main prey. But spiders, tarantulas even are known to scavenge. So if there is an opportunity for them to go and eat a, a weak bird that's on the ground, then they will do that. And yes, yeah, so tarantulas, they are opportunistic feeders and this complemented by their low metabolisms um, adds some effectiveness to how they how they live and I believe that this advantage kind of makes up for their vulnerable state after performing ecdysis or the process known as molting but that's a subject for another podcast but yes so bird eaters they get that name for pretty much their capability of eating birds. Obviously, if you have a, a bird eater, I don't think that I would recommend trying to feed them birds on a weekly, monthly diet. That just doesn't seem, seem right at all. And the next misconception, and this one's a little iffy, but it is that tarantulas can drown in their water bowls. Now, the reason why I said this one is iffy is because tarantulas can drown in their water bowls. But at the same time, I just said that bird eaters can eat birds. So, pretty much it is true that they can drown their water bowls, but it is not true that you should think 100% that your tarantula is going to drown in any kind of a bowl filled with water. Now, for example, if you have a sling and that sling is around a quarter of an inch and you give it a water bowl that is an inch deep and four inches wide all around, that tarantula might drown. It might go in there, might get in there on accident and I'm not sure on the density of a tarantula compared to water if they have any sort of flotation. I know that some tarantulas are capable of swimming, but of course that does not mean that you put a pool in your tarantula enclosure. But there is a possibility of them slipping, getting stuck in the water, and drowning. And the reasons why tarantulas can drown is because of where their, their respiratory system is located compared to the rest of their body. Now, in the opisosoma, or the abdomen, the back part of the tarantula, that is where their book lungs are located. But not only that, their book lungs are located on the bottom portion, on the bottom section of their opisosoma. So what this means is that when tarantulas have that part submerged, there is a less likely chance of them to breathe. And to get into the physiology of it, which I'm saving for a for another podcast, let, let's just say that this breathing becomes harder because 
they're located beneath their lungs and beneath the, the rest of their body for the most part. So what I'm getting at is that tarantulas can drown in their water bowls if the water is too deep. Now, if you have an adult tarantula and you get a little hermit crab water dish from Petco, for example, one that's probably a quarter of an inch deep, quarter of an inch deep, then chances are you're not going to have that tarantula drowning in its, its water bowl because it's almost impossible for it to do so. Now, what I recommend for slings, spiderlings, would be to get fill up a bottle cap with water, like get, get a bottle of water, take off the cap, and put that in the enclosure with a sling, and that works great. I've had no troubles with that. I know that I've said that I've had three teas so far, and I've raised two from slings, and those two from slings, which is the Tidilocatl albopolosum and the Nandichromatis, otherwise known as the Brazilian red and white tarantula and the Crillier tarantula. They had no problem with the water, water bowls at all, which were the bottle caps, like I just said. Now, for the last misconception that I have, it would be the use of heat maps mats, lamps, and lights. First off, tarantulas, they don't, I don't believe that they really prefer the light. It is also recommended that you keep tarantulas out of direct sunlight because this can cause them to, it pretty much irritates them. So just, just avoid that. And yes, yeah, so the lamps and heat mats, they're they're, they're not really recommended. Um, to put it in easier terms, if you're comfortable, your tarantula is comfortable. The tarantula should be kept around 70 to 80 degrees, 70 degrees, yes. The way I go is 70 degrees minimum, 80 degrees maximum. If you're comfortable, your tarantulas are comfortable. Now for the example where would you want to use a heat mat that would be for if your tarantula is living with you and you're living in a house that is cold during winter. Now, if your house gets cold, your tarantula gets cold. So, tarantulas don't really like the cold. That's not good for them. It can slow them down and could also possibly result in molting complications if they don't have the correct heat. So, a uh, heat mat would be good to keep a consistent heat within their enclosure, but you should monitor it and you should make sure that it does not go above a certain temperature. So I recommend that if you do use a heat mat, that you use it on the correct occasion, which would be if the tarantula is colder than what it should be in the house, and that you put a, a thermometer inside your enclosure to monitor the heat that the tarantula is experiencing from the heat mat. And that pretty much wraps up this podcast. This one was, I believe, the, the most informative podcast I've made out of the two. The first one was definitely just an introduction, and I'm excited to get this one out there. And I really hope that this clears things up for 
for tarantula enthusiasts, hobbyists, those that want to get in. This this podcast is mean more for those who are trying to get into the tarantula hobby and have not yet had one or just want some prior knowledge or experience before they do have one. So yes, this was a fun, fun podcast to make. And I definitely plan on making more. So yes, if you want to message me and tell me how I can improve this podcast, you can go to the podcast site on Anchor and message me. And there is also my email that you can message too, which is Derek from downtown at gmail.com. D E R R I C K F R O N D O W N T O W N at gmail.com. And if you believe that this is worthy of a donation to help keep this podcast going, then I greatly appreciate that. And that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening.